Time to Talk with hosts Jennifer Graziano of Zion Memorial Chapel and Cox and Graziano Funeral Homes. Jennifer is here to discuss a sensitive subject we all need to talk and think about. Here now is Jennifer Graziano and Time to Talk. Good morning, Westchester. It's 9 a.m. on Monday, and that means it's time to talk with me, Jen Graziano. I'm a licensed funeral director who oversees my family's funeral homes, Cox and Graziano of both the Marinick and Greenwich and the Zion Memorial Chapel of Westchester. Every week I come to you discussing important topics and sensitive matters that all of us need to pause and reflect upon at some point. And through this show, I hope to provide a platform to do so. If you're joining us on WBOX, a Whitney Global Media Station, We'll take questions, comments, and calls to 914-636-0110. Good morning to Vinny and everyone in the controls. Thank you, Don, for the water. <laughs> and good morning, Facebook Live viewers. Happy to have you join us on what looks like a sun-shining Monday, which is great and needed. Um, good morning to Tim Judge, man behind the camera from GreenwichLocal.com as well. So yesterday, my guest and I braved that crazy weather um, my clothes and coat are still wet, hanging up, but it was for a great cause. We were helping the seniors of the Greenwich community have important tools for aging. And you put on a wonderful program through Round Hill Community Church, where you also are a pastor is one of the many hats that you wear. It's true. Welcome my guest, Shannon White. Good morning, hey, Shannon. Good morning, Jen. Wonderful to be here with you. And I'm so glad you do this show. I Well, thank you. And this whole show was about having uncomfortable conversations and making subjects approachable, easy to have and encouraging dialogues between families. So you basically are the show. Like this is what <laughs> we've been trying to do now for eight years. And then I come across this book, The Invisible Conversations with Your Aging Parents, and you had no choice but to come on. So. There we go. I know. And that actually came out of necessity. It's, it's an 11-year-old book, but it's still relevant. Exactly. <laughs> and I said that this morning on the morning show that, you, I, I mean, I know you wrote this again about a decade ago, mm -hmm. but every piece of information in here is just as relevant today as when you wrote it. And in 10 years from now, we can pick this up and still be having the same conversations. So I credit you. This is Thank really you. a manual that, you know, it's like a Bible. It's, not, it's, it's still relevant. <laughs> it's born out of real life stories with people. And it actually, it, I, it wrote itself in four months time when I left Greenwich last time back in 2014. It, it really wrote itself. I used uh, stories that people gave me permission to share uh, change their identities. And um, so it's it's relevant to the community of your listenership. So I, I want to get into you a little bit again. You wear yeah. many hats. You are an Emmy Award winning journalist. People might recognize you. Oh, well, <laughs> we, we like to bump you up okay, here on the show, you. but um, Emmy nominated, but you might recognize her beautiful face and voice. Uh, you've been, you were with News 12 as a as a reporter for mm -hmm. many years. For nine um, years as a freelance, but I was a regular freelance. So I worked anywhere from one to five days a week. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then you are with Round Hill Community Church in a pastoral capacity. I am. You are, um, your title there is? Pastor for Spiritual Development. So Spiritual it's, a, it's a fancy word for associate pastor, but since I've been around, I've been ordained for 32 years. Wow. And uh, they, they didn't want to call me an associate. They wanted, yeah. Well, I, I, I like I like the title for sure. And through your work with people through the church, you must have really seen over the years um, 
the issues that come with aging. I mean, age is a blessing. Age is a gift. But with age comes comes a struggle sometimes. Life is taking a lot away from you. Um, Adult children are struggling with parents. There is a fight to maintain autonomy. There's a fight to give care. When do we bring care in? What care do we bring? You must have had a front line to really see a lot of what the aging process can do. It's true, uh, not only as a pastoral care provider, but also in my own family. So, right. you know, these these come out of my own stories of of things as my father died 30 years ago, my mother just died a year and a half ago. So the conversations that need to be had with people as they age so that they can maintain as much power and control in their lives as possible. Because what we oftentimes see, and they mentioned the the panelists talked about it yesterday, is that people get more isolated sometimes. Yeah. And if there are unresolved conversations, um, that that can keep people disconnected at a time when people need to be connected the most. And we just witnessed that, what we just lived through I, I was saying one of the greatest parts of yesterday was simply just being there, mm-hmm. seeing the seniors. I mean, I used to attend events like that so frequently. Yeah. I saw people that I hadn't seen in three years yesterday, mm-hmm. and that was so wonderful. But the isolation, the impact on seniors, you know, especially those who weren't tech savvy, right. you know, are in, they, I mean, thank goodness for Facebook, but our youth had the ability, you know, to to log on and do video play dates with friends, you know, even people, we would have virtual wine parties, we'd get together. But for seniors, the lack of physical contact, being unable to hug somebody to see your grandchildren, this has probably caused so much cognitive decline amongst seniors, the isolation Things left unsaid, really terrible. So true. And whether it's families or friends, I mean, people, we really pride ourselves as well as other communities of faith of really helping to create community Mm -hmm. in the worship space when people couldn't even come to worship spaces. Yeah. That it's, yeah. I mean, it's time to move forward. Um, And again, I credit credit you for taking that step yesterday. I loved your dedication, by the way. Dedicated to families who yearn for deeper connection during all stages of life. Ultimately, having difficult conversations brings you closer. Right. And so one of the stories that I told is um, in in the recent newspaper articles was the story with my mom who, when I was writing this book, she was about to go undergo surgery. She was in her 70s at that point. She lived in Texas at that time. Okay. And she said, I said, okay, mom, I know I've been your healthcare power of attorney and I just want to check in with you before you go into surgery. And she said, well, and I went, what? <laughs> and she said, well, I changed it this time. And I just, I had to kind of, since I claim that I'm so good with these, I'm like, okay, be, be conscious of my own feelings so that it doesn't get in the way. And I just said, well, why don't you, tell me what happened. And she goes, well, I didn't. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me? She goes, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. And I went, mom, this is not about hurting my feelings. I'm an adult. I can really handle it. Tell me what's going on. She goes, well, your sisters didn't think that you would consult them if something were to happen. And I said, well, really, this is about carrying out your wishes. Right. So that's kind of true. If you had, if your wishes had differed from what they were saying. Right. So, but what happened? Because she took the risk to tell me that, and because I was able to be conscious of my own feelings to not get in the way, we ended up getting more authentic together. 
And that changed the last 10 years of our relationship together to really be able to open it. Wow. Yeah. You know, from that little vignette, there's so much that comes from it. And I see this often in my line of work as well. You have four kids, you'll have five opinions. Mm -hmm. And it's always who is the ringleader. And when you're on the other side, it becomes difficult because as a professional, you're not looking to get in between that, but it's who do you listen to? Who takes charge? And what do you do if all the siblings are not on the same page? And I've seen this in my own family. I mean, I only have Mm -hmm. one brother. Thankfully, we're close. Um, But I've seen it with my parents and their siblings. I've seen this. Um, What do you do in these situations where there's multiple children, only one mom and only one dad? How do you start to navigate the path? What had initially made you mom's choice? And talk a bit about that Mm -hmm. that, that shift. And so, yeah, it's complicated. I have three sisters. Okay. Love them all. Mm -hmm. Um, My older sister and her husband had financial means enough to be able to care for my mother at her end of life. Okay. uh, Chose to do that. And we weren't the rest of us weren't in that same financial position. Mm-hmm. We did other things right. to be in contact. Um, and so that caused some some deep feelings about where we all stepping up and that kind of thing. And there was a rift. And so a break in communication for a few years, which was very, very painful. It, it is. And it, and it just compounds, you know, the, what mom or dad's illness is now compounded yeah. by that. So your advice in situations like this, I'd have to imagine is, I mean, do you say, let's just lay it on the table, put our cards on the table, talk about the source of the rift and like get to the point where we're understanding what each other is thinking and feeling? Because oftentimes I think there's miscommunication that breeds contempt. There's lack of communication that breeds contempt. So I'm always an advocate of let's call out the elephant in the room, lay it on the line, understand where each person's coming from. And hopefully that gets you to the middle ground. Well, that's for someone like you who wants to talk it out. There are many people that don't want to talk it out. Right? Yeah. Oh, I'm well aware. <laughs> That's assuming, right? And I'm sure you see it in your business all the time. I, I just recently did uh, an internment and they, they said, if one sibling comes, the other sibling's going to leave. And yeah, this I is at an, an internment. So, uh, you know, it's so the question is what needs to be said and what what are the decisions that can be made on behalf of the parent while they're still alive. And some some things may not be worked out until much later. So they research shows that most people, like 30% or more people still are coming out of a parent-child relationship kind of thing from childhood. And if those things are in the way, it's almost like a tidal wave that prevents you from communicating adult to adult, mm-hmm. whether it's with your sibling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I one of the stories I tell in here is that an attorney talked to me in the writing of this book who said, you know, was mad at the father or the mother because they had given private school education to one granddaughter and not to the other. And so there was this rift. Well, how do you get through that if one party's not willing to own that stuff because that's very those are young feelings right and also one party <laughs> might not be aware i mean right. you know i i like to think and and maybe it's overly simplistic but i think people are well-intentioned people do the best they can i don't think parents set out to hurt right. child a in favor of child b maybe circumstances allow them to do something for a that they could no longer do for b but the point is if you're harboring resentment for so many years the other party doesn't necessarily know 
the origin of the yes. resentment. Uh, you know, it's so funny. One of the great things I think you come, I come from this family where we left nothing unsaid. I mean, it was Bless raw you. honesty. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes maybe we were a little loud and, you know, our Italian came out, but you know, it, it just, you're always, you know, where you stand with people. And I value that so much. And, and I think that if we don't, you know, those issues that you're discussing, they'll carry with you your whole life and they'll really inhibit you from having deep connections with other people as well. I mean, if you're carrying this childhood trauma or burden, mm -hmm. it's going to impact your relationships when it comes to marriage, mm -hmm. um, friendships. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that that could be a separate show that everybody needs to do some internal mental and emotional housekeeping. <laughs> Before my dad died at age 55, he had so he was young. He was young. He had cancer. Okay. It was, showed up for the second time. He had been president of Barclays Bank in the United States. He was a very successful man, but he was also a miserable and angry man. And so it was terrifying growing up in his house. And before he died, my therapist I was working with at the time said, you need to go tell him what it was like growing up in your house, in, in the house. And that was, that broke a family rule because in our house, you didn't do anything to upset dad because right. you never knew. Well, right. that was carrying over into my adult life. Right, right, right. So I went down, I was living in Princeton, New Jersey. I went down to um, Charlotte, North Carolina and told him he had had a laryngectomy at that point. And I just said, dad, I've always been afraid of you. And what's important is for you to know it hasn't held me back, that I'm fine and that there's love and peace and forgiveness. So he died freer. It was the most honest conversation we'd ever had. Yeah. And I literally grew up from age 13 when the last abusive incident happened to adulthood so that it literally freed me by being able to have an honest, frank conversation with no bitterness. I mean, I had done enough of my own work. You had done your healing. Mm -hmm. um, and wow. Wow. I mean, I, and I credit you for sharing that. And I think it, it's, it has to have enabled you to become a very highly functioning adult, emotionally healthy, a better parent to your own mm -hmm. child. All There's so much good that stems from releasing and mm -hmm. saying the things that are uncomfortable, leaving things unsaid. Just, you know, if you don't deal with something now, it will deal with you later. And for some, in some situations, it may not be appropriate to say it directly to that person. Mm -hmm. You may need to say it to an empty chair. Or write you a letter need, or, you know, a therapist, yeah, yes. or a therapist. Right. right. But, and you know, I, one of the books I just read discussed, it, it was a book entitled anti-cancer and it was how emotions really, there's a scientific nexus between the emotions we carry and bottle up and the progression of that particular disease. And it was fascinating. And they talked about people who released emotions, who spoke to a therapist, who really were able to meditate or get things off their chest and not, keep them so internalized, really yielded better health effects. Um, so again, so much good comes from that. You know, Shannon, often we assume that people on the other side don't want to talk about what's uncomfortable. But in your research and doing this, do you find that seniors really want to have these conversations and it's the adult children or caregivers that are the ones who are, you know, we're too uncomfortable with it. So over the years, I've done a lot of book talks on this and hands down, it's the, the aging parents that buy this book 
give it, sometimes even hide it in, I've heard, <laughs> hide it in their drawers and say, hint, hint, I need to talk. Really? I mean, it really is that because they may, uh, because whether it's that the adult child doesn't want to face that their parent is getting older and may die soon, a lot of people who are getting closer to death, we're all getting closer to death, but a lot of people that are seniors have come to terms with the fact that, yes, their life is finite. They want to live as freely and as well as that they can. Mm-hmm. And it's their adult children, as you say, that are blocking them from being able to um, continue to have that connection. So one, some of the things that I do are, here are the questions to ask. For instance, you know, when um, uh, one woman was having a, tri- a hard time, this is the one that's just coming to my mind right now, um, this was her daughter was dealing with, when do you take the keys? And her mother once said, I, I want to k- keep my car. She was living in assisted living. And, and the daughter was very generous. And she said, let's just see. Okay. For six months, she kept saying, let's just see. And they would drive the car around the assisted living parking lot okay. until the mother couldn't find the spot anymore. And then it was, not everybody has the patience of six months. <laughs> I know, but, that's, that's a good right, daughter. Right? So, well, yes. I mean, I think there's such, again, there's a struggle between the loss of independence and autonomy. Yes. And the role reversal, that's really hard. Imagine this, you know, you're a mother, I'm a mother. We care for our children. I, I have one child. Mm-hmm. And uh, you too. as well. Okay. So, you know, that's parenting of a different nature. It's just you're all in. No one else has your attention. The thought of one day her doing that for me, I mean, it already, it prematurely disturbs me. It's just out of order. So you can imagine how the parent feels, you know, when that role reversal comes in. However, there are valid concerns and they become safety issues. How do we reconcile that? Is, is that wait and see approach the best, you know, that, that we, or do you, do you have to sometimes come in and drop the hammer and say, this is no longer safe and just suffer the emotional consequences? Well, that's a good question. And particularly around driving, um, I think that's a very sticky wicket because there are some people who can safely drive into their 80s. You know, or even I know some people that drive in their 90s. Well, it also comes down to what you can do and what you should do. Right. (laughs) Well, and and so what some people have said through, through my time is that it's often better to have a doctor be the one to lay down the the final law or when they have to go back to um, renew their driver's license, that it's the driver's, you know, it's the DMV that says, "Mm, you know, your eyes aren't up to par. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, there's kind of a different reality check than just the parental child. Right. And it becomes, you know, the, the non-biased, the the objective third party. Right. Blame, blame the expert. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, yeah, because it's easier for the senior to refute at that point. Um, but I but I also think that, again, I always say you have to meet people where they are. I mm-hmm. think the adult child has to be mindful of how difficult this is, even though you're well-intentioned, you're, you're doing the right thing. Fast forward the film and put yourself in those shoes. Take right. a step back for a moment. Imagine, you know, I so my, my mom passed young. She passed a few years ago of cancer and it was a brief illness, but she wasn't able to drive during that. I mean, everything happened so quickly. And for her, that not being able to drive the car, my mother was the most fiercely independent woman I've ever known. 
and always out and about, always like everywhere. And I used to, my heart would break like driving her because I know like ultimately that was the hardest thing for her. Like my dad taking her places, you have to just take a moment. I mean, whereas it's obviously your concern is the child, but take a moment to recognize what that's like for a parent to lose that. Well, remember how you felt when you were 16 and you got the keys Mm -hmm. and you got, it was like all of a sudden the world was opened up. Absolutely. And then when it's time to not drive anymore, it's just compounded. And it's one of the things that life takes away from you. And you do a whole section on loss and the different Mm -hmm. types of loss that we have. I say again, age, it's a blessing, but you know, sometimes the, the blessing part is, is hard to find because life is taking so much from you. Your circle is dwindling. Your your memories are fading. Parts of your body aren't working. In the right. Same and, way. I, and I like how you describe this. This is a term that I've, I've never heard coined, but intrapsychic loss. It's when you mm-hmm. look in that, you know, the, the loss of your image, the loss mm-hmm. of what you see when you look in that mirror. Um how do you navigate these losses from the perspective of, again, being the caregiving child, trying to help the parent, and then the senior themselves? You know, I think COVID actually even exacerbated it even oh more because God. there's so much unprocessed grief. Yes, even loss of routine. Loss of routine, People loss went to of the dreams. Centers. Yes. yes, right. Whether it's the, and that creates the isolation. Grief keeps one isolated. That's why grief groups are wonderful for spouses who've lost. I agree. You know, widows or widowers together with other people who can share a common story and you overhear your story being told by someone else. Yes, we, we've had um, a free support group at the funeral home for over two decades now. Important. I'm such a believer in it, yep. even for people who hadn't used our funeral home, but it's open to the community. And what you find is, you know, grief is very specific. Mm-hmm. You know, the grief is as unique as the relationship you shared. But whereas parents are trying, children try to help parents, your grief as an adult child is different than your grief as a spouse. Yes. And often these people in the group will bond with each other because they get it. If they're both widows or widowers, they get it. Um, Sibling grief is different than Mm -hmm. when a parent loses a child. So the bereavement groups, there's just so much good that comes from them. And absolutely. There is a, there is a term called complicated grief. I learned about in seminary where if you don't work through one thing and another, the next piece of loss comes, then it's, it makes it more difficult to grieve that first. Yeah. Yeah. It could even be, you know, an outside event in the world at large you could read about, or hear something on the news that could just trigger your grief your ptsd whether it's absolutely again my our counselor always says if you don't deal with grief it deals with you right um and it's so true so i think one of the things we hope that people take out of this today is getting support dealing with issues that have been bottled up inside of you whether it's a traumatic childhood experience um a, a bad relationship a death you have to release what's in you and some people are really grief averse. Yeah. They want to just say, I don't want to deal with the past. The past is the past. Yeah. That's really not correct. And those are the people that they don't even realize they're carrying it so heavily on them. You know, you think you're not dealing with it. You're sweeping it under the rug, but it's affecting who you are as a person. There's a wonderful book. Um, I'm forgetting the author's name, but it's The Body Keeps the Score. And it's written by a Harvard um, researcher and psychologist. Uh, psychologist and uh, probably a psychiatrist, but it talks about how the the traumas that we 
face childhood stay in our bodies yeah. until we process them. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's not sounds going away. like so right. But when I read it, I thought, oh, my goodness, I was feeling things that I had not thought about in a long time, but places where it was in my body. So, wow, this is hysterical that I'm looking at the time. I feel like you just got in this chair and we're wrapping up. <laughs> Oh, there's so much I wanted to talk to you. But listen, I know you wrote this a while ago, but people have to be able to get a copy of this. Can we get this? You can get it on Amazon. Okay. On Amazon. I'm (laughs) holding this up. The Invisible Conversations with Your Aging Parents. I strongly recommend this. I I actually read the book in a day, but this is wonderful. Shannon outlines questions that you need to ask as an advocate within in the healthcare system for your parents, mm-hmm. things to do to encourage the stories to be told and memories to be shared before the onset of cognitive decline, conversations to have with siblings and you know caregivers. defining roles, caregivers. Mm-hmm. It's a small book, folks, but it's all in here. This this really is a Bible for aging. Thank you. So please visit Amazon. Is there a website where people can learn more about you? Um, actually, my personal website's no longer functional. So okay. the church website is fine. Roundhillcommunitychurch.org. What a beautiful church. Thank you. Oh my gosh. It was, <laughs> I mean, with those windows watching the rain yesterday, it was quite scary. <laughs> and, and actually yesterday's program will be video. It was, it video was videoed and it'll be on there. People can go and listen to that. I next encourage week. everyone. Roundhillcommunitychurch.org. Community Please take a look at that. wonderful panelists, many of whom you're going to hear on the show. I'm going to have to have you back. Okay. You <laughs> were pleasure. wonderful. Reverend Shannon White, <laughs> an you. author, a pastor, um, a journalist, and, and truly a well-spoken, well-informed expert here on the subject of having hard conversations. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me as part of the program yesterday, so glad too. That you were there. And this is Jen Graziano thanking you for taking the time to listen as we took the time to talk. If you like the show, visit us on time to talk with Jen.com and sign up for the podcast. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.